Take your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you and let us return to Paul's letter to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter one and our text will be verses 14 through 16. We're picking up where we left off last week. So we're the glory, glory to God for his grace. Uh, this is the second part of a message we began last week. First Timothy chapter one, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Verse 16, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask now that you would bless we pray for your blessing upon your word as it is read and preached we ask that you would open our ears and hearts and you would give us understanding i pray that you would bless my mind my tongue as i speak i pray for the help of your holy spirit as your word declares and promises faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god and so be with us now. Help us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our, our passage this morning, our passage this morning, there is, a, there is a great magnifying of the gospel in our passage. A great giving and holding up of the glory of God's grace and his mercy in saving sinners through the gospel of his son. Now we're picking right up where we ended last week, starting with verse 14. In verse 14, the apostle Paul that man, as we have been seeing, who was a fierce persecutor of the church, is now reminding us of his experience of grace, his experience of the saving grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that, he's magnifying the grace of God and giving glory to the grace of God because of the gospel. That's what, he, that's what he's doing. If you remember verse 13, recall verse 13, notice that. He spoke of his former state before he came to Christ savingly, before Christ pursued him on that road uh, to Damascus and made Paul his. Paul said of his former state that he was a, verse 13, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent or violent man, and he actually he said in unbelief again this is Paul before his conversion however however God was merciful to Paul 
In verse 13, he says, but I obtained or received mercy. Mercy. Paul was a great sinner. He deserved judgment. God showed mercy to Paul. And not just mercy. What we ended with last week was verse 14. Verse 14. Let's return there. It was not just mercy, but also grace. Grace. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. So again, notice in verse 14 that the grace of God was exceedingly abundant. The idea is that the grace of God overflowed to Paul. This is the dual experience of mercy and grace that comes to great sinners like Paul and to great sinners like all of us that are here this morning. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, it is because God has shown you mercy and grace. You remember mercy. Mercy means God has not Listen, God has not given you what you deserve. Judgment. That's mercy. And grace. Grace means that God has given you what you do not deserve. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And life in Jesus Christ. All of this is, is Paul's way of describing his experience of grace. All of this is describing the full and free salvation in Jesus Christ apart, listen to my language, apart from works or merit on your part. It is a gift from God, Romans 6.23. It is a gift. Paul does, he uses this language in a number of places, speaking of, of coupling together the mercy and grace of God in salvation. When he would write to Titus, if you just first Timothy, second Timothy, Titus, that last pastoral epistle, when he writes to Titus, Paul would speak of salvation like this. In Titus chapter three, Titus chapter three, verses four through seven, Titus three, verses four through seven. Listen to this. Titus three, verse four. But when the kindness, but when the kindness and the love of God, our savior toward man appeared, verse five, not by works, you hear that? not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. 
through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out, again, notice the language, whom he, he poured out upon us abundantly, abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, not only is he speaking of this experience of salvation and this dual experience of receiving mercy and grace in Christ here, of now what has happened to him in Christ. Look at the next part of verse 14. Notice the second half of the verse. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. And then he says, with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Let me just right here. Let me quote Calvin on this part of the verse. Listen what Calvin says here. Here's Calvin. On the closing of their second half of verse 14. He says this with faith and love. Both may be viewed as referring to God in this, in this sense, that God, that God himself showed to be true and gave a manifestation of his love in Christ when he bestowed his grace upon Paul. But then Calvin says this, but I, Calvin says, prefer a more simple interpretation that faith and love are indications, proofs that grace, which he has mentioned, that it might not be supposed that he, he boasted, that Paul boasted needlessly or without good grounds. Indeed, Faith is contrasted with unbelief. And love in Christ is contrasted with the cruelty that which he, that is Paul, which he exercised toward believers. And then Calvin says, it's as if, it's as if he, it's as if Paul had said that God had so completely changed him that he had now become a totally different new man. Instead of unbelief, he was now a man of faith. Instead of a man persecuting the church, the people of God, he now loved God and his people. He was a new man, a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So think of it this way. Where mercy and grace was poured out upon Paul, or where mercy and grace is poured out and overflowed on sinners. True faith, true faith and love will arise.
We speak of the new life, regeneration in that sense, don't we? That when the Spirit's been poured out upon us, when we've been made new in Christ, faith comes forth. Love comes forth. Now, with that being said, verse 14, now notice verse 15, verse 15. And here we have the heart of what we're looking at this morning. Verse 15, here we have the glorious gospel. The glorious gospel, right here in verse 15. Let me read it. Look, look at it. Look, let's reread it. Let's savor every word in the truth found here. Notice verse 15. Look at it with your eyes. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, fix your eyes on verse 15. Fix your eyes on verse 15 and pray right now in your heart. God, open my eyes. Help me to see. Father, help me to believe. Help me to see. And let's read it now. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Luther, Luther said concerning this passage and verse, he said this was life and salvation for him. This was life and salvation for him. Luther goes on in commenting on this verse. He says this about verse 15. Let no sinner lose hope. Let no sinner lose hope. He says the sinner has the opportunity to hope because Christ has come. He goes on to say, like the devil, the law of Moses condemns. We do not need Christ to condemn us, nor was he sent to condemn us, end quote. Verse 15 is a concise summary of the gospel. This is the message of the apostle. He, listen church, Paul did not, Christ did not come and Paul did not go around preaching a new law. Christ came to save sinners and Paul proclaimed the gospel. Notice that Paul says, verse 15, notice that Paul says this is a faithful or trustworthy, trustworthy saying, our statement. 
And this little, this little expression, you, if we read over it easy, quickly, a faithful saying, a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying, he says. It appears five times from Paul in his writings. Five times he'll say this. And this is apparently... Uh, when he says this, these are apparently recognized summary statements of fundamental teaching, apostolic doctrine that was circulating among the early churches. Think of these like early creedal statements of faith. I'll give you an example. Second uh, Timothy. 2 Timothy, turn over there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. One of our sister churches, one of our sister churches, they confess the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, but they also confess this. And maybe we ought to be doing it too. They confess this occasionally on Sunday mornings. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Listen, notice what Paul says here. This is a faithful saying. There it is again. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's a faithful saying. Now notice, notice verse 15. The opening words here in verse 15, they're concerning the gospel. And it's the content of the gospel. And Paul wants us to understand by this little saying that it's true. It's true. This is trustworthy. This is a trustworthy statement or saying. This is true. Now, this is, if we see this, in the context of this chapter, this stands in contrast to the, the doctrine of the false teachers, which in verse 4, notice in verse 4, Paul says was fables or myths. He's telling us this is a trustworthy statement. This is faithful. This is not like the false teachers that go about with fables and myths. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true. You, you can put your faith, you can stake eternity on this. It's true. It's, it's, it's true because it's grounded in God's infallible word. It's true because it's the teaching of Holy Scripture. Knowing is the content of this gospel true? But notice the second thing he says. He says in verse 15, it's worthy. Verse 15, worthy are deserving of all, are full, deserving of all, are full acceptance is the language he'll use. In other words, the glorious gospel is worthy of all people to be received by faith. 
and the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is to be fully received by faith. And this message, this gospel, this truth is to be fully received by all people. By all people. Received by all sorts of people. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, young, old, learned, and unlearned. It, for it is entirely true. Listen, everyone who is listening to this, receive these wonderful words, this news of salvation. It's worthy of acceptance. Again, verse 15, he moves from this content of the gospel to beginning to speak of the person of the gospel. Look at verse 15 again. He speaks of the person of the gospel, and this is the person of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 15, that Christ, that Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world. The man, the man named Jesus Christ, when he says Jesus Christ, the, the man named Jesus is the long-promised Christ, the anointed one, the, the promised Messiah from Genesis into the fulfillment of him, of him coming onto the scene in the Gospels. He's the long-awaited Messiah, the long-promised Christ. In chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, when we get there, we will see speaking of his mediation as God-man. That is, that we, we needed someone to stand in the gap between sinful man and God, holy God. We needed a, a mediator. In 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And notice what he's saying here. This is Jesus, the son of Mary, the man who was arrested and crucified under Pontius Pilate, the Jesus who suffered and was buried and who rose again from the dead on the third day. And that's not all he says about his person. Again, notice what he says. Did you notice that he said, Christ Jesus came into, notice that word, into the world. He came into the world. Again, concerning his person, he's not only very man or truly man, he was also and is very God or truly God. His coming into the world speaks of his pre-existence. This Jesus, 
is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the eternally begotten Son, Jesus, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. He came from heaven and was incarnate. He took on human flesh by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That's who he's speaking about here. He came into the world. This verse would be an entire series of Christmas messages, couldn't it? He came into the world and he was born of the virgin as a baby to identify with us. As Dan rightly taught this morning in our equipping our class, he came into the world to be our representative, to be that federal head, to stand in our place for us. But here, God, man, I mean, remember the words of, of John's gospel, those opening words of John's gospel that speak of the, the one that the gospel is about to, about to explain the details of his life. It goes before in the prologue, those first 18 verses pushed back into eternity when it says, uh, speaking of the preexistence of Christ and his coming into the world and his taking on human flesh, John would say it this way in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and, and, and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning in the word and, the, and, and he was in the beginning with God that is the eternal logos was with God the eternal word it was God and then he says these amazing words amazing words and verse 14 of John 1 and the word the word, the one who was with God, the one who was God, who was with God in the beginning. In, in the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. This is who Paul is writing about. The one who's very God and very man. There, there's the person of the gospel. Jesus, Jesus Christ. But lastly, notice, notice next what Paul says concerning the work, the work of Jesus Christ. He's spoken about his person, now the work. And they're both essential, right? He says in verse 15 that Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? Save sinners. Save sinners. <laughs> Save sinners. Here we have the word concerning the work and the mission of Christ. This was his purpose in the covenant of redemption. Right, Dan? 
to save sinners, his people. This is the essence of the gospel. This is why when we, when the scriptures speak of the work of Christ for us, it's called gospel, gospel. Gospel is a word that literally means good news. This is why it's good news. Christ came to save sinners. He, if he came to give us a new law, that's not good news. But promise in the gospel is good news. God sent the Son into the world, and the Son came to die on the cross for the purpose to save sinners, to save lawbreakers, to save rebels, to save sinners like Paul and like you and like me. And verse 15, he sets before us the truth of the eternal Son the pre-existence of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, and his atoning death. All right there in one verse, the gospel in summary statement. The law, listen church, understand these things, law and gospel. The law of God was meant and it, had, it was set forth for the condemnation of sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ was set forth. Christ came to save sinners for the promise of salvation. Listen to, again, these familiar words of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the one that the Baptists declared Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that the apostles would preach throughout the book of Acts. Like in Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we have the gospel here, and it's worthy of full acceptance. Now, verse 16. When he entered into this section after pointing out the false teachers, their doctrine, he's, he spoke in verse 11 about the glorious gospel. Notice that verse 11, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And he says, and I think, I, th I thank Christ Jesus. And he, he ends this section in another doxology, verse 17, verse 17. And Lord willing, this will be next week. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He, again, he, he sandwiches this glorious truth, this eruption concerning God's mercy and grace and the gospel of his son between these two praises. But in verse 16, well, let, me show, let me say at the end of verse 15, when he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, and he says, of whom I am chief, 
And in verse 16, however, for this reason, Paul says, I obtained mercy. Now notice what he says, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering, patience as a pattern, as a display to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. You see, for Paul, the gospel is very personal. God forgave Paul. He saved Paul, the great sinner, the chief of sinners. Paul understood the grace of God, like Bunyan. You remember we mentioned last week this section where Bunyan used this, John Bunyan, grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Paul's point here in verse 16 is that, that God can save a great sinner like me, like Paul. If he can do that, and he, he now sets me forth in history to the churches on the pages of Scripture. Now it is set in stone in the Word of God, but it is set forth for the churches to see the one who persecuted the church has now been redeemed by the grace of God. If he can save someone like Paul, if he can save a sinner like Paul, he can save a sinner like you. And there is this force here, this force in the tax of, of individual personal acceptance of this truth. That is the gospel. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. For this reason, I, Paul, obtained mercy that in me, Christ Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. Paul was an example. Paul was a model of the saving power of the gospel toward sinners. Paul's salvation was a witness of the mercy and grace of God toward sinners in the gospel. Our application this morning is simple and vitally important. This gospel, this good news that the Son of God has come into the world to save sinners, that the Word of God declares is worthy of all acceptance, is being set forth before you this morning. Yes, that as saints, we would rejoice, we would praise God for that dual experience of mercy and grace that we've received in Jesus Christ in the gospel. But it is set forth before you all this morning to believe, to accept, to trust in the promises of the gospel that your sins might be forgiven and washed away, that you might be reconciled to God and receive the promise of eternal life. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, turn away from your sin 
your former way of life like Paul did. Repent of your sin. See it for what it is, sin and rebellion to your God, to your creator. Turn from it. Acknowledge its wickedness, its sinfulness. Acknowledge your worthiness to be damned and judged just as the rest. And turn from it. And as you turn from your sin and your rebellion to God, turn to Christ by faith. And don't bring anything with you. Don't bring anything. Come with empty hands. No merit, no work. Come by faith and faith alone. Trusting, resting, receiving, believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for a sinner like you. And be saved. And be saved. As we come to the table... As we come to the table this morning, that which we have, we have read with our eyes, that we've heard with our ears, we've heard proclaimed, we now see in sign and symbol in this covenant meal, in the bread and the wine, his, his body, his broken body, in the cup, the wine, the, the juice, the, the shed blood that he gave his life, he shed his blood, he drank the cup of God's wrath for us. And so we come receiving this sacred sign and symbol that he's given us in mercy and grace to remind us. And that not only would we hear, would we see, but we would hold with our hands, we would taste with our mouth the promises that are held out to us in the gospel. And that by grace, through faith, we would eat and drink and receive these promises and our souls would be nourished and strengthened. Let us pray.